Thank you, Pedro. You guys can have a seat, and uh, our team can uh, welcome our kids heading up that way. So, Redemption kids, you can head up to be with your teachers and uh, your your uh, classroom assistants up there. And I would like to welcome everyone else to the gathering of Redemption Hill. If you are new with us, you are honored guests. We're so thankful that you joined us. Uh, we would love for you to fill out our digital connect card. You can find that on our app, so you can download that. If you never download our app, it's got some great resources, things happening in the life of our church. Uh, so we would love for you to take a moment and to uh, download that and let us know that you visited with us uh, by filling that out. Um, and as you do that, you have a minute or two to do that uh, before I, I open God's word for us. Uh, a few other things that are happening in the life of our church uh, that are also on the app. So you can uh, learn about. Uh, number one, we have fire nights this Friday night. We have it the first Friday of every month at our community center. And uh, we are going to take some time to pray over this new micro pantry that we have there at the community center. It's stocked with uh, imperishable goods so that uh, the community can come by. Those who are uh, struggling with food insecurity can stop by, uh, grab a couple cans of, of food or whatever they need. Uh, so we actually want everyone who is going to come to, to try to bring a can, some cans of food, um, whatever that looks like, to, to the community center this Friday night. We're going to be praying over that. Uh, then college students, note there's a college equip day happening, uh, not this Saturday, but the following Saturday on the 15th. That's also happening at the community center in Metro Square. Uh, and then if you're new to Redemption Hill, Marsha and I would love, my wife and I would love for you to come to our home for the next newcomer's dinner, okay? This is like your best next step. If you're new to Redemption Hill, you've never been to a newcomer's dinner, please join us. We're going to have Regina's Pizza. And salad, if you're not a pizza person. Um, salad, and just this low-key, hang out, meet some other people, hear a little bit about uh, what we're about as a church family. And then, and then, there's something else happening this month. There's something else happening. Uh, on October 23rd, we have our 11th anniversary Sunday. All right, so we can, we can get excited about that. And, uh, you know, there are three reasons I'm wearing this jersey this morning. Well, actually four. four the fourth reason is I like it. All right. But uh, the, the, thir the third reason is because uh, last year for our 10th anniversary, the church got the pastor's Celtics jersey with the number 10 on it. Right. So check it out. That's right. Inscribed on the back. Um, so, so I hope you'll come. It's a great Sunday, and uh, we want you to be here, bring some friends. Uh, but also the two other reasons, by the way. Uh, number one, we want to be all things to all people, right? So it ain't about what you wear on Sunday. It's about being who you are, and uh, which also gets to what we've been talking about on Sundays the last couple of weeks. Uh, I would say how you dress coming to church is a gray area, right? It's like there's not a right or wrong. Honor God with how you dress, right? And that's the, that's the wisdom principle. Uh, so, so that's where we're going again in God's word. If you'll turn to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, we're going to make it all the way through the first verse of chapter 11 today and finish out this section. And the title of today's message is No Mas. No mas, all right? I'm not fluent in Spanish, but I at least remember that no mas, and I didn't get this from a Taco Bell commercial, by the way. I remember that no mas means no more. No more. 
I love the Pedro Witzel, the Portuguese section of that song, by the way. But uh, no, no more. No more. And, and there's a famous uh, event in sports history where uh, this phrase really came to be uh, the, the, the touch point of uh, this famous boxing match by uh, the Panamanian Roberto Duran, whose nickname was Fists of Stone, all right? Who wants to fight a man with the name Fists of Stone? Anyone? Uh, not me either. But, uh, but he was fighting... Sugar Ray Leonard, the American boxer, the up-and-coming Olympic champion, Sugar Ray Leonard. They had the brawl in Montreal. They started this whole, you know, rivalry between the two of them. And uh, Roberto Duran won that fight by decision. And so five months later, they scheduled a rematch in New Orleans at the Superdome. They called it the Super Fight at the Superdome. But no one remembers that it was called the super fight because as that boxing match, I love, I'm not a boxer, all right? Can I keep it real this morning? I don't think I've ever even been in a fight before, all right? I mean, I'm, I'm not ashamed of that, all right? It's like, I mean, if I have to fight to protect somebody, to protect my family or whatever, you know, I think that's a gray, is that a gray area or is that like, man, you better put up some dukes if, if somebody's in trouble. Anyway, so, um, but, 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 but I, I love, I watched the, the uh, Rob, uh, Ken Burns documentary on Ali, you know, Hails from the Great State of where I grew up, Kentucky. And um, so, so. This fight between Roberto Duran and Sugar Ray Leonard, uh, it went one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight rounds. And Sugar Ray Leonard was getting the best of Roberto Duran. In fact, uh, you know, after he won in Montreal, he kind of celebrated a little too much. He wasn't in the best shape. And he had to lose all this weight before the fight. And so he was really, uh, according to him, he was not in the best physical condition. And so as Sugar Ray Leonard starting to play with him a little like Ali style and winding up and then hitting him with a left jab, uh, seconds later, Roberto Duran kind of puts up his glove and waves and he says, no one knows. No one knows what he said. Because Harold, 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 uh, Howard Cosell on whatever NBC says, Roberto Duran just said, no mas, no mas. He's, he's giving up. Sugar Ray Leonard's beat him into submission. But Duran claims he never said that. And Sugar Ray Leonard never heard him say that. What Duran says that he said was, no sigo, no sigo, which means I'm not continuing. I, I can't continue, which is different than I'm giving up. But he was in such a physical condition with his stomach and everything else that he thought it was best to end the fight. And so you can imagine that that scarred his boxing career that it brought great shame to his name and even to his country in some ways as people thought he just gave up. No mas, no mas. And while that is shameful in a boxing ring, it is incredibly honorable when it comes to the fight that we are in against other gods that are competing for our attention, that are vying for our worship. The Bible calls this idolatry, raising up anything in the rightful place of God, where we would value anything more than we value God. It's not just statues made of stone, but anything in our lives. And so to idols we say what? No mas. No mas. 
And that is what Paul is talking about here in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. What I want to do as we get into this chapter is we're going to walk our way through it. I want to give you four tactics, right? Four tactics for tearing down idols. And by the way, we all have some idols in our life. We all have some things that our hearts chase after in ways that are even more excited than we're chasing after God. And so what do we do? How can we tear down these idols? Let me give you four tactics this morning. Number one, listen, learn from past examples. Learn from past Examples. This is what Paul begins in the first 11 verses. We're going to spend uh, the majority of our time in, in terms of breaking down the points by uh, this, this point right here. All right. So uh, verse 1, it says this. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased. For they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place. What? As examples. For us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters. As some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example. But they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. In order to encourage the people in Corinth, these new followers of Jesus, to not give in to idolatry, to say no mas to idolatry, he pulls them back into the history of the people of Jesus. And if you want more on this, and I hope you want more on this, that you need to go back to the, to the book of Exodus chapters 13 through about 17, and then Numbers, all over the book of Numbers, you're going to hear, and I'm going to give you these, uh, these references as we work our way through, the, the history that Paul is recounting for them to learn from their example. And so if, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, if even if you're not, I want to give you just a little cliff notes, okay? Uh, God chose a man named Abraham to be his, his, uh, the forefather of the people of Israel. He was the one that God promised that through his offspring, through one of his descendants, that he would bless the entire world. And we know that that is pointing us to Jesus, who is the deliverer and the rescuer of all mankind, bringing us back into a relationship with God. And in Abraham's people, it didn't start off so well with, for them because uh, when, when Abraham had a great-grandson named Joseph, his brothers sold him into slavery in Egypt, and it was 
through the providence of God, the working of God that Joseph actually ascended to be second in command, right under Pharaoh. God shows so much favor to Joseph and to Jacob, his father, Israel, and to the people of Israel. But it was only a few generations when the new Egyptian Pharaoh would begin to oppress the people of Israel. This went on for hundreds of years. They were in slavery in Egypt, and they kept crying out to God, crying out to God, crying out to God for deliverance. And ultimately, God heard their prayer. And ultimately, God raised up a man named Moses to go toe-to-toe with Pharaoh, representing God himself, saying, if you don't let my people go, God is going to let us go. And God sent ten plagues on the people of Egypt to the point where Pharaoh had to say, this is enough. You've taken even the firstborn of the people of Egypt. I am, and you passed over the people of Israel. We are going to let you go. And it's here where we pick up in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 4. What what does Paul say? How did God rescue them? He gives us the highlights, all right, in these verses. Number one, he says, I don't want you to be unaware. This is how it went down. This was God's kindness to the people of Israel, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. So what's going on here? Paul is saying when God led the people out of Egypt, he actually led them through a supernatural yet physical pillar of cloud by day and pillar of fire by night to give them direction on where they were to go in the wilderness. And this started out amazing until God led them right into the Red Sea. And not only did they not know how they were going to get across, but Pharaoh got a little upset that all of his, uh, you know, workers are now not in his kingdom. And so he started chasing after them in hot pursuit. So not only does the people of Israel have the Red Sea in front of them, but they have Pharaoh behind them. And God says to Moses, Moses, Take your staff and hold it out over the sea and watch what I am about to do. And a strong, strong, supernatural, miraculous wind comes and starts to part the Red Sea where the people, we just sang about it, where the people of Israel walked through with, on dry ground. And as the, the Egyptian army comes behind them, God sweeps them away in the flood. And Paul is saying, look at this. Look at how God led his people. Look at how God saved and delivered his people. And he actually compares this to, to baptism. This is, this is wild here. He's comparing their journey through the water and God's leadership through Moses and the cloud, saying this was like the true new birth of the nation. And just like when we're baptized, we go through the water and we have this new identity in Jesus Christ that it is the mark of our new journey with him where we're saying that the, the, the past is buried and we're walking into a new future with God. And I just want to pause and, and just say this. Listen, if you say, hey, I'm all in with Jesus, like Jesus died for me, he brought me back into a relationship with God, I'm living for him, there's no one like him, he rose from the dead to bring me life. 
and you've never been baptized, you've never gone under the water showing that you died with Christ, died to your old way of life, and were raised up to this new life, this new identity, this new sense of purpose and freedom, if you've never taken that step, I want to encourage you, decide today and on an upcoming Sunday before the year is over, we'll give you that privilege and give us the privilege of joining to see you baptized as a follower of Jesus Christ. You can fill that out on the Digital Connect card. You can let me know after the service, and we would love to help you with that. And so Paul says, this is what it was like for you. This is how God delivered you and, and he guided you through the wilderness. But, but not only that, it says that as they were chilling in the desert, is that, is that even possible, by the way? Can you chill? Can you chill in a desert? And the scientists around are like, yes, you can because the sand and the humidity is like super hot during the day and super cold at night. But anyway, it's like metaphorically speaking. As they're chilling in the desert, they're like, hey, uh, Moses, uh, like there's no market basket out here and uh, no tenoch, you know, like we can just walk down to the tenoch in the square and get us a torta, you know. The El Pastor is nice, you know what I'm saying. But anyway, um, it's really good. I'm just saying, I don't just buy it because I'm a pastor. It's really good. But um, so, so they're like, what are we going to do? And what does God do? To meet their need, he rains down manna from heaven. This, this wafer-like flaky substance that was so nutritious and yet had a taste like honey. And day after day, they, they had this manna to eat. And then it's like, God, but we're, we're, it's like we're, we're, we're thankful that our stomachs are full, but we're a little thirsty out here. And so as God rains down the manna in Exodus chapter 16, he then brings up water from the rock in Exodus 17. He tells Moses to strike the rock, and as soon as Moses strikes the rock, water starts to flow out. And, and did you notice what it says in the text, so miraculous? It says, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. I mean, have any of you ever experienced a moving rock? that just follows you wherever you go so that you can have what you need. And I know what you may be thinking. It's like what Pastor Tanner, you know, like that's in the Bible, but can we really trust the Bible because that's crazy, all right? Let me just tell you something. If God can show up in a pillar of cloud and fire and split the Red Sea, all right, he can make a rock move and give some people something to drink. And it's like, wait, wait, wait. It's like, oh, but, but that's crazy. That happened thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago. Um, if God can raise a man from the dead... God can do anything. And so God is providing for them again and again and again. I love what he says, the rock was Christ. In other words, that, that, that God himself was present. Jesus was present with them on the journey. He calls the rock capital R. If you go back and read the Song of Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 32, you're going to find four times that it refers to God as the rock. What it's saying is God was present with his people, present in the cloud, present in the manna, present in the water. He's so present with us. Which makes verse 5 so mind-bending. Because what does it say? It says, nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased. He was not pleased. And why was that? It's because the people of Israel stopped trusting in God and his provision. And they started trusting in themselves and worshiping other gods. And this is exactly where Paul goes, starting in verse 7. After he says, 
do not desire evil as they did, then he names the evil. He says, do not be idolaters. And with a direct quotation out of Exodus 32, verse 6, he says, the people, what, what idolatry am I talking about? I gave you Exodus 13, 14, 16, 17. 15, don't skip it. It's so good, the song of, of Moses. Uh, but 32, Moses is where? He's on the mountain. He's getting the law of God, the commands, the instructions, his caring uh, guidance for the people. And the, and the people were down here kind of like us sometimes, like, uh, Moses, um, you've been up there for a while. Where's this leader, Moses? Uh, maybe Moses got lost. Like we were kind of, Moses, we're tired. We're tired of waiting. And so they go to Moses' brother, the other leader, and they, and he, they say to Aaron, hey, make us, make us gods. We need gods to lead us. And Aaron makes this golden calf. And the people begin to worship it. It says they, they sat down to eat and celebrate before this golden calf. Perhaps even what eating meat that had been sacrificed to an idol. And then it says that they rose up to play. And oftentimes in the Old Testament when it says they rose up to play, it's a euphemism for sexual immorality. And if it's not 100% certain that that's what Exodus 32, 6 refers to, we know that the very next verse, verse 8 says, we must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 died in a single day. This is referring to Numbers chapter 25 when the men of Israel went to the women of Moab and committed rampant sexual immorality. God was so disgusted with their idolatrous desires that it says that in his loving discipline and in his judgment, he sent a plague where 23,000 of them died in one day. And you say like, wow, that's so crazy. God is so vengeful. And it's like, actually, God is so loving. Because you could argue if God didn't send the plague, that the whole nation goes into this kind of uh, behavior and just forsakes their God who Love them and redeem them. But that's not all. They put God to the test in Numbers 21, charging him as an absentee father. That's not all. In Numbers 11, 14, and 16, they grumbled against God, saying, Egypt was better. We're sick of this food, God. We'd rather die uh, here than spend one more day. Die in Egypt rather than spend one more day here which also led to God's discipline and judgment. And so I don't know about you, but if you're reading this chapter about idolatry, about sexual immorality, about complaining against God sometimes and, you know, grumbling, it's like, well, I'm glad that's not me. I'm glad I never do that. Can I get an amen this morning? Isn't it like, huh? Oh, oh. This is, this, is, this is our story. This is our story. This is why it was written. It says it was written down for our instruction. This is why we need to read the Bible. This is why we need to go back, not just to the New Testament and get the stories and the examples. But we need to go back to the Old 
Old Testament and get the stories and examples. We learn so much about what it looks like to learn from past examples. Uh, we, we see other uh, teaching and insight about idolatry here. We, we said it earlier, but in, idolatry and idol is anything that we value more than we value God. Okay, so we often think like bad things that pull us away from God, golden calves. Okay, but listen, idolatry is not just bad things that pull us away, but it is good things that God says, hey, this is a gift. You should enjoy it. But we start making good things God things. We start giving the best attention and our affection and our allegiance to these other things more than we do God. So what things, Pastor Tanner? Things like money, things like possessions, things like accomplishment, approval, relationships, sex, pleasure, work, anything, any, any good thing, we can take it and we can turn it into an idol. And when we do this, one pastor calls idolatry drinking salt water. All right, if you just, if you're at the ocean, you know, you're swimming around, you get a little salt water, like you probably spit it out because it doesn't taste the greatest. But it's like, if you drink a little salt water, you'll be fine. You drink much of it, you'll get dehydrated. You drink it long enough and it'll kill you. And this is what idolatry does. This is why we have to say no more. God made me for him and I worship him alone. But, but not only this, look at, look at this other insight here. Notice that Paul talks about uh, not being idolaters in verse 7, and then he's going to say the same thing in verse 14 when he says, flee from idolatry. But in between the double exhortation to not be idolaters, he talks about sexual immorality, he puts, talks about putting God to the test, and then he talks about grumbling. You say, well, he must be talking about four different things. No, he's not. Because when we pursue sexual immorality, we are chasing after a God substitute saying, God, you don't really satisfy me. I'm not really going to follow your ways. I need something more. And when we put God to the test and we grumble against God, what we are saying is, God, you know what? Um, you're good most of the time, but sometimes you're not that good. And I'm going to be God instead and in our grumbling and putting God to the test, we are idolaters. And this is what some have called the sin under the sin. Idolatry is behind all of our sin problems where we're elevating other things more than God. And this is why our hearts are chasing after all of these things that ultimately do not satisfy us. So Paul is saying, listen, learn from their mistakes See them as examples. See the consequences, both positive and negative, before you experience them yourself. And this is where Paul goes next in verses 12 and 13. Look at what he says here in, in verses 12 and 13. He says, uh, therefore, remember what he said in verse 11 is, these were written down for your instruction. Pay attention. And then he says this, therefore... Let anyone who thinks that he stands, in other words, standing strong, take heed, watch out, lest he fall. 
No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure. So, so what, is, what is Paul doing here? He's, he's saying, learn from these past examples. And as you do so, you're going to also need to employ the second tactic, which is leaning on God's faithfulness. He, he gives us a warning in verse 12, and then he follows that warning with a promise. And the warning goes like this, okay? Something we all need to understand. If, if, you're not, if you don't have this level of self-awareness yet, then uh, Pastor Tanner is going to do you a solid and, and help you become more self-aware, all right? So, so this, is, this is how uh, human beings operate, all right? And, and, and I'm just going to keep it real. You're no different than I am. If you think you are, then you're making the point. People assume the best about themselves. And usually, not the best about others. But that's, that's another sermon. I'm not going to go there, okay? So it's like we, we assume the best about ourselves. We think we are impenetrable. I would never do what he did. I never treat the, pe- the, the people the way that she did. My walk with God is so up here. I am so spiritually strong. Man. I am on fire for God. I am, I mean, I'm just, I'm in the word and I'm serving and I'm doing all these great things for the kingdom of God. And that's great. In fact, that's why we give our lives to one another. And as leaders, as pastors, like, we want you to be spiritually strong. We want you to be up here walking with God and on fire for God. But if you think that you are above any sin, you are incredibly deceived. Hear these four words this morning. Pride precedes the fall. Pride precedes the fall. This is from Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. And so we must never think we are above any sin. If we think we are above any sin at any moment, however high or low, We are positioning ourselves for a fall. At the same time, we also must never think that any sin is above us. Okay, listen, listen. We we never think that we are above any sin, but neither do we think that any sin is above us. And what I mean by this is we never live as though there is any sin in the world that has more power than we do because we have been rescued by Jesus and he has given us his Holy Spirit. And therefore, we don't have to say yes to any sin, but we can always say no moss to any idol because God has given us his power. And if we have the power of God, then we have more power than any sin. Preach, Pastor Tanner. That amen was pretty good. I'm, I, let me clap for you right there. That amen was pretty good. Can we just get a louder amen for that? Amen. amen. No sin is greater. And, and this, is, this is why. Why? Why? Not because we're great. Not because we're great. Verse 13 says why. It says, no temptation is, 
has, has come your way except what is common. So if you think you're special, it's like I, I hear this a lot. It's like, oh, man, like it's just like, man, you know, the devil's after me and my life is so hard and I'm going through all this and no one understands. And, you know, it's like honestly, like all that, like it's, it's natural. We all think it. But it's also proud because everyone's going through it. No temptation has, has come at you that is not common to everyone everywhere. But, but what happens when it does? God is faithful. He is faithful because he will give us the strength to stand strong. Look at what it, what it says here in verse 13. But he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. So that's what I'm saying. You have the strength. God has given you the strength to say no. Listen, you can never say as a Christian, please hear this. You can never say, the devil made me do it. That's a lie. The devil can't make you do anything as a Christian. And, and even, oh, well, it was just like so hard, you know, and I was, you know, with these people at this party and it was crazy. And, you know, I just, you know, whatever, it took a little something too much. And then, you know, next thing I know, I'm acting wild and whatever. It's like, so we blame the devil, we blame the world. But when you get a little bit of a better theology of sin, and I've been around to read the Bible long enough and read enough good books like uh, Indwelling Sin by Chris Longar, actually it's called The Enemy of Within by Chris Longar. What, what, what they teach you is this from what the Bible says. We sin. We do things that miss God's mark, cross his intentions. That's what sin, transgression means. We, we sin because we're sinful. You might want to write that down so you don't forget. We sin because we are sinful. And what that means is the world and the devil would have no appeal if we didn't want to do what they're trying to get us to do. And what this does is, number one, it leaves us without excuse and it puts us in complete responsibility for our actions before God and before people. And you say, well, man, this is really hard, Pastor Tanner. It's hard. That's, that's, that's kind of why I started the sermon with a boxing match, you know. It's like, but God is faithful. He's given you the strength to stand strong. It, it's, it's not there's no temptation beyond our ability. But, but knowing that, he keeps going. He says, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape so that you can stand up under it. In other words, God is always, when you're, when you're in the middle of it, there is always an opportunity to get the mess out of there. To say no. To run as fast as you can. To look like a fool if that's what it takes. To honor God and to make sure you stay in the path of life. This is what this is all about. Read the Proverbs. Path of wisdom, path of life, path of folly, path of death. God wants you as his children on the path of life. And what for? At the end of verse 13, he says it, that you may be able to endure the temptation. God wants us to go the distance. 
And so we learn from past examples, number one. We lean on God's faithfulness, number two. But then number three, we let our worship be pure. We let our worship be pure. Check out what Paul says in verses 14 through 22. Therefore, my beloved, here it is again, flee, run from idolatry. I speak, I love this, Paul's so pastoral, right? He's just like, hey, you're sensible, you're very reasonable, Corinthians. Just decide for yourselves if what I am saying is true and rational. Judge for yourselves what I say. Verse 16, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body. For we all partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? No. I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he is? What Paul does is this. He uses a metaphor that the Corinthians were very familiar with. It's not even a metaphor, it's a practice, a spiritual practice, a rhythm that we participate in ourselves at Redemption Hill once every like three or four weeks. It's called the Lord's Supper. It's called communion. And in this this family meal, which would have been more of like a true meal in the first century church, it, it seems, most of the time at least, when they would sit down at a table to share this family meal they would remember the last meal that Jesus shared with his disciples where he took the the bread and he gave thanks to God and he broke it and he said, this is my body broken for you. When you come together as, as my followers, you remember that I died on your behalf to bring you a new life. And when you share in the cup of blessing, blessing means life. Blessing means life. What is blessing? Blessing is life. The cup of life that, that, that is, represents my blood shed on your behalf. When you participate in remembering me, you are saying, I'm all in with Jesus. I am, I am completely identifying my life with his life. I am, I am so all in with Jesus that I am actually taking, I'm taking his life into my life. My life belongs to him. I mean, I love what I saw a post from uh, Lecrae, one of my favorite rappers uh, for about the past 20 years. Uh, he, he posted on Twitter. He shared it on Instagram. That's why I saw it. I'm not on Twitter. Uh, but, he, but it said this, okay? And I want to give a little trigger warning here uh, because uh, it, it is, is couched in some political terms. And I know it's like, oh, all right, just listen, please. And don't hear what Lecrae is not saying, all right? Just listen to what he is saying. All right, here we go. I'm not progressive. And all the conservatives are like, ah, yeah, look right, you're not progressive. <laughs> then he said, I'm not liberal. I'm not conservative. 
on kingdom. On kingdom. Interesting, there are no amens around the room. Uh, maybe we need to pray about it. Uh, and so, because, like, did you know Jesus doesn't run? Like, if Jesus were here, he wouldn't run for, like, I'm a Republican, I'm a Democrat. No, I'm Jesus. Don't get it twisted. This is not our home. I'm not saying we shouldn't care about politics. I'm not saying we shouldn't have strong convictions. I'm not saying we shouldn't debate them vigorously and have open and honest conversations, but like civil discourse. Let's, let's bring back civil discourse. But what I am saying, I believe you can't put the values of the kingdom of God strictly under one political party. Wow, come on. I mean, it's like, can we just keep, like, keep it really? And it's like, hey, you have convicted. Like, hey, it's more this, so I'm going to vote this. Or it's more that, I'm going to vote that. More, it's a gray area. I think it's a gray area. <laughs> but, but listen, this is not even the point. That's just a sidebar. Hopefully for your edification, not so that you'll leave redemption and you'll never come back next Sunday. All right, just saying. All right. But, but this is what he went on to say, which is more important. He said, the empire can have my taxes. The kingdom gets my life. The kingdom gets my life. God gets all of me. I offer myself to God completely. I'm participating with him. I'm holding nothing back. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Senor. I'm going to pre preach in Spanish today. Jesus is Senor. Thank you, Spanish speakers. This is, I can understand that too. Amen. Amen. It's like, Jesus is Lord. I was speaking with my, my friend Justin, who's like new to all in with Jesus. And it's like, hey, and this is how if we follow Jesus. Like what we're ultimately saying is Jesus is Lord. I am all in with him. I am giving my entire life to him. This is what Paul meant when he said in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, therefore in the view of the mercies of God, in view of what all God has done for us in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, then he goes on to say, offer your bodies. Offer your entire selves, what? As living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. This is your true and proper worship. So I'll say it another way. If you're all in with Jesus, you can't be any in over here. If, if we're all in here, we can't be any in over here. It's got to be all worship of the one true God and no worship, no mosque to any other idol. And don't miss verse 22. Because this might just help you get there. If you've been idolizing, can I say the word? Can I say it again? Can I say it? Comfort. Snooze button. Netflix. Oh, God, I'm just like, are we going to show up to heaven? And be like, oh, God, I'm sorry I never like really spent face-to-face -face time with you um, and, like, went out and served people and, like, fought for justice. And, you know, it's like, 
you know, because those shows that people created, you know, it's like they were so good. And I'm not, like, I, I watch series. I love, I love some Netflix. I like, like gray areas. But, 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 but this, what, this might get you past the idolatry. This might get you past the, 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 the just so sad. Like, please, God, move us beyond sanitized Christianity. Sanitized Christianity never takes, takes a risk. It's one thing if there's a global pandemic and we're on lockdown because we don't know what's going on. And we don't want to get something that might literally kill us. But when it comes to living our lives for God, sanitization doesn't, doesn't work. We're talking about the man that went to the cross for us. And Hebrews chapter 13 says that we go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach that he endured. We take risks. We sacrifice our lives. Because anything we offer to God in this life is more valuable than anything we could experience in this life. So now let me share what I hope will get you over the hump. God is jealous for you. God is jealous for you. He loves you more than you can imagine. He wants you. He wants you more than he wants anything else. And he wants you to want him like he wants you. God is so jealous for you that he gave his entire self. He could have left us to ourselves. Jesus didn't have to show up. Jesus didn't have to go to the cross. But he was jealous for us. And this is what Paul says. It says, shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? You worship another idol and that makes God jealous. Because he loves you so much. And oh, by the way, God is not only jealous, God is very, 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 very strong. So if you think, listen, check this out. If you think you can persist in living this kind of, hey, I'm over here, Jesus, Sunday. Oh, we worship you, Jesus. And it's like, oh, I got my Bible out. And, but Saturday night and, you know, Tuesday and whatever. In the end, you are not the stronger one. Nor am I. And I believe what Paul is saying here is we give an account for our life and God has the final word. And how we live today, even as Christians, it matters. It matters now. It matters for eternity. I got to give you the fourth point very quickly. So let's go. Number four, live for God's glory and others good, all right? So, so now we're back to what Paul is really, really talking about in these three chapters Gray areas, all right? And, 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 and these are, what, what are gray areas? Gray areas, again, if you missed the last couple Sundays, okay, uh, they are like, hey, in this situation, this is good and wise. In another situation, this is bad and foolish. 
Same thing, different situation, different response. So I think some gray areas in our culture, Halloween. Santa Claus. Just saying, saying. Hope you heard that. Um, watching R-rated movies. Driving slightly over the speed limit. Not judging. Just don't judge me. Playing certain video games. Placing a bet. Alcohol. These are a number of great areas. And, and what we, I want to I give you, a, I just want to give you a framework, okay? As we, as we sort through gray areas and we see from chapters 8, 9, and 10, these principles that will guide us through the gray areas of life so that we can worship God and honor him and care for others in everything. Here are eight questions that you might want to write down and write them down fast or come back to the sermon online, listen again, check the notes out. This is what they are, okay? Number one, is it helpful? Is it helpful? Chapter 6, verse 12 says the same thing as chapter 10, verse 23. What? All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. Is this helpful? Number two, is it addictive? Will it enslave me? Will, 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 I, will I just be taken by this action? Number three, will it encourage Christians? And we see this in chapter 8, verse 13. We also see it in verse 24 of chapter 10. Let no one seek his own good but the good of his neighbor. Number four, will it point people to Jesus? We saw this all throughout chapter 9, as well as here at the end of chapter 10. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone and everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Will this point, if I do this thing, will it point others to Jesus or will it give them a cloudy picture of the one that is the king of my life? Number five, will it violate my conscience? And this is what Paul is talking about here in verses 25 through 29. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Okay, so let me just go ahead and explain. What Paul is doing here is he's applying gray areas again to eating meat that's offered to an idol. And he says there are four scenarios that you're going to respond in four different ways. Number one, he says if it's just bought at like the grocery store... Just eat it because food is food. It belongs to God. He quotes Psalm 24, verse 1, the earth is the Lord, the fullness thereof, enjoy the meat. But then he goes on after he says that in verses 25 and 6, and he says, if you're eating dinner with a non-believer, praise God, non-believers were inviting the believing Corinthian Christians over. He says in verse 27, if one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. And so that's a second scenario. Number three, he talks about what seems to be in verses 28 and 9, believers with a weak conscience. Because what does it say? But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience, I'm not talking about your conscience, he says in verse 29, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? This is it. Will it violate my conscience? That's the fifth question. And then number six, will it look like Jesus? We see this in verse 1 of chapter 11. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. A seventh question, will it love others? We see Paul talking about this all throughout, particularly in chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians. And then finally, 
verse 31 of chapter 10, perhaps the most well-known verse in the book of 1 Corinthians, where Paul says, therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, whatever you do, whatever you, Netflix, whatever you, just go into the what, claw, whatever, like, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. I'll read those one more time. Is it helpful? Is it addictive? Will it encourage Christians? Will it point people to Jesus? Will it violate my own conscience? Will it look like Jesus? Will it love others? Will it glorify God? But at the very end, we see these, these ultimate two overarching principles. And we just keep coming back to this throughout the book of 1 Corinthians. It's God over everything. God over everything. The glory of God over everything and others before myself. You remember, God, others, you. Worship, love, you. We're always there. It's God first, others second, us number three. And so what Paul has done in, in these three chapters, in landing here in chapter 10, is he's calling us to pursue God's pleasure by living a life of wisdom and worship. That's, that's, the, that's the main takeaway from this chapter as we process what Paul has said. Pursue God's pleasure by living a life of wisdom and worship. And so what I want to do is I want to invite the, the music team to come up. And as they come up, I want to invite just anyone that feels led to pray with people this morning. Um, I want to invite a prayer team to come down. So if you've been a part of our prayer team, you feel led, please come down. I'm going to join you in just a moment. Uh, we need at least a few, I would say, if not more. But, but this, is, this is my question as we move into a time of, of response and worship. What idol do you need to tear down? What, what is it in your life that's, that's hindering your relationship with God, and you know it. You just know it. God's even like, I was like, listen to this and that and what, you know, and even politics and just like, is, any, is anything hindering comfort, anything, whatever that is, would you say, I am going to be bringing out these truths of God's word, these principles of learning from past examples and leaning on God's faithfulness and letting my worship be pure and living for God's glory and the good of others. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give my life to that this week. And even if I'm not perfect at it, God, I'm going to ask for your strength again and again and again. And right now we would just begin to pray and, and, and seek God's help for this. Listen, please, don't, don't, don't stand still. It's not it's not time to stand still as a follower of Christ. It's time to take the next step and the next step and the next step. Maybe your next step is baptism. We talked about Maybe it's just like, hey, I follow Jesus now, and I want to follow him, and I want to show people that I follow him, so I want to go into the water and be baptized. You just want to pray about that. It's like, I want to take this step. Pray for me. So I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to ask our prayer team to come forward. And as we sing about the Holy Spirit about the Holy Spirit's help in our lives. Listen, you can pray right where you are. And that's a great thing. But sometimes, sometimes, it's nice to just get that extra strength by praying with someone else. It's not a law. It doesn't always work that way. It's just, but 
God gives us one another. We participate in worship so that we can help one another on this journey called the Christian life. And so, Father, we thank you. God, we thank you that you give us the very first commandment that says you should have no other gods before me, besides me. And so, Father, we pray, Lord, we pray that you would teach us, you would help us to say no mas. Whatever it is, God, whatever we, we pursue, Lord, that uh, ultimately is a hindrance, is a roadblock. Perhaps it's really pulling us away from you right now, Lord, that we would see it for what it is. It's empty. It's not going to ultimately satisfy us. It was not what we were made for, God. We were made for you and you alone. And so, God, I ask that in these moments as we pray, Lord, that you would help us, God, help us. Help us have the courage, even just right where we are in our seat, just to say, God, help me. Help me live for you. Move people to receive prayer as you lead in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing.